We're in our heavenward prayer series, and this morning we're going to be preaching from James chapter 5. James chapter 5, please. And let's begin in verse 13. James 5.13, I'm going to begin in 13, because I believe 13 to 15 give us a full rich context of this message this morning entitled Gospel-Powered Prayer. So turn to James 5, and let's start at verse 13, please. James 5.13, in a message entitled Gospel-Powered Prayer. James 5.13, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, and now verses 16 to 18, will be the sermon will be focused on these verses. But we needed to read 13 to 15 to get the therefore. So therefore, in verse 16, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months... It did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would bless my friends this morning with your word. Please, Lord, anoint my lips to speak your word the way you want it spoken, the very words you want spoken, and the way you want them spoken, Father, in Jesus' name. And I I put my confidence in you in that. Amen. Now, the context of... James 5, 13 to 18, it's about prayer, guys. Seven verses, every one of these verses contains either the word pray or prayer. And when you look at verses 14 and 15, it is definitely talking about physical healing. It says if you are sick, if you are bedridden, you ask for the elders of the church to come and to pray for you that you might be raised up from your bed of affliction, that God might raise you up from your bed of affliction. And then in verse 16, we have this, therefore. And I believe at this point we're going to include physical healing. But I believe verse 16 through 18 really broadens the healing to the healing of a sick soul. You're not sick with the disease that physically is making you ill or putting you in bed. But you're sick with the disease that spiritually has you bedridden. Spiritually, you're sick, and you need healing. And, and so the main point of the message here this morning is, is really that God, God, God is, is commanding us to do two things. He's commanding us to, to confess our sins to one another, and he's commanding us to pray for one another. And God gave me the opportunity this last couple of weeks to experience both. To experience both. Actually, it began for me about 10 days ago on a Thursday where we normally have our leadership team meeting. And at that leadership team meeting, what we do is we evaluate Sunday mornings, everything about Sunday morning, to include the sermon. And so part of that evaluation of the sermon on Sunday morning is always very grace-filled. We begin... Speaking to the person who preached, I happen to have preached the, the previous Sunday on this Thursday I'm talking to you about. We, the guys began to speak to me and they began to share with me how the sermon blessed them. They first reacted and responded to the sermon as, as a believer, as a, as a person to whom God was speaking. But then, as my friends and as fellow preachers, they began to share with me how God could take a good sermon and make it better. And I did not respond very well. I responded in pride at their suggestions of how I could improve the sermon. And if you would have been in that room, you would have seen me grow strangely silent and basically just shut down. I was battling the sin of pride. 
and losing. Well, the next night, or that night, that Thursday night, 10 days ago, the Lord convicted me. He began to speak to me about my proud heart. The next day, I came into work, and I said, guys, please forgive me. I said, don't give up talking to me about my sermons, because I want to grow in this preaching. I want to grow in this preaching to honor God, and I want to grow in my preaching to bless you, because the church is built on good preaching. So that, that occurred Thursday, September uh, the 8th, and Friday the September 9th. Now, fast forward to last Sunday, September 11th. I came to church ready to hear a great sermon, and in fact, I heard a great sermon. My friend, Jose Prado, really preached a wonderful sermon by God's grace on gospel-driven prayer. I benefited from it so much, and I trust you did. And if you haven't heard it yet, please log on to our website and listen to that sermon. But in addition to benefiting from the sermon, as I was seated right there on the front row, I found myself battling with pride. So I'm benefiting from the preaching, and I'm battling pride. And it was an unexpected battle. And here's the thought that came into my head. Hey, Prado's sermon is better than the sermon I preached last week. And suddenly, the root of my pride from the previous Thursday was exposed. It was an old friend, or, or should I say an old enemy. What Jim Britt and I have called the green-eyed monster. What scripture calls bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. I believe God wants to put godly ambition in us. I should be ambitious to preach a good sermon, but selfish ambition is when I compare with others and want to be better so that I look better. And that sin was on me and in me and talking to me as Jose is preaching a wonderful, wonderful sermon. And it's a sin that I've wrestled with all my life. I've always been an ambitious man. If you don't know me very well, now you'll laugh at this. At one point, I actually had designs on being the president of the United States of America. I know. Marco Rubio is my, you know, only hope now. But (laughs) seriously, seriously, I, I wanted to do that. It's embarrassing to even say that. No way gifted to do that. But this sin of selfish ambition has has been with me for many, many years. And when the sermon concluded, guys, I got up and I said, I'm going to go out and greet people. I had already determined to do that because I haven't been able to do that. When I normally preach, I'm over here greeting the the guests. So I I went out to the front, and and right as I got out, I started greeting people. and, And God is so good. He used several of my very good friends who love me dearly to remind me by something they said. They didn't even know they were saying it. Hey, Pino, selfish ambition, bitter jealousy. I want to talk to you about that tonight. So I'm shaking people's hand. I'm grinning, and I'm going, oh, my Lord, help me. So Sunday night, Monday morning, I'm asking God to forgive me. Tuesday morning, come into work, and I knew that I needed to confess to my friend, Jose. And so I said, hey, buddy, you got a moment. This is that last Tuesday, September 13th. Can Can I share with you my shameful thoughts and my cravings? And it wasn't easy, folks. But do you know what I experienced when I did that? I experienced what this scripture talks about. I experienced a healing in my soul from the disease of bitter jealousy and selfish ambition as Jose prayed for me. And this illustrates the point of what God wants to accomplish in each of us today through this scripture. God commands us to confess our sins to one another. And he commands us to pray for one another. And if we obey, he promises to heal us. See, God's claim on our life is confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. That's that's the main point here. Now, in, in verses 13 to 15, it's about prayer. Pray in all circumstances. Pray when you're in trouble. Pray when you're sick. Pray when you're doing well. But But I believe... He transitions in verse 16 right here, and he's saying, I want you to confess your sins to one another and pray for each other that I might heal you. There's no doubt that verses 14 and 15 are about physical healing, but the therefore in verse 16 connects us to those verses about physical healing, and he broadens it to to a spiritual healing. And confession is a big part of that. So let's take a look at this command here in verse 16. Confess your sins to one another. Pray for this spiritual healing. Confess your sins to one another. Did you know that this is the only place in the New Testament 
where we are specifically commanded to confess our sins to one another. Now, there are many places where we are commanded to confess our sins to God. And I want to take a moment to to, to really hone in on this because I'm not going to back off of the command to confess our sins to one another. And you may be thinking, why should I confess my sin to one another? I've got God. God is the one who forgives me for my sin. And I'm going to say, amen, brother. I'm about to go to a scripture to confirm with you. But you know why I tell you confess your sin to one another? Because God says to do it. And in our individualistic culture today, we've got a problem with this. What business is it of you of my sin? God makes it the business of one another. We are our brother's keeper. And God promises to heal us if we will obey this. But before we get to that, let me make a very important distinction that we first confess our sins to God. So please turn briefly to 1 John 1, 5. 1 John 1, 5. 1 John 1, 5. And in a sense, I want to answer that question for you. Why should I have to confess my sin to someone else? Doesn't God forgive my sin? Yes, he does. Do I confess my sin to someone else to have it forgiven? No, you don't. No, no, sir. 1 John 1, 5, we confess our sin to God and God alone to no man. Jesus Christ is the sole mediator between God and man. There is one mediator, Christ the man between God and men. So we confess our sins to one another. Excuse me, we confess our sins to God to be forgiven. 1 John 1, 5, this is the message we have from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Okay, so, so if, we conf- if we don't confess our sin to God, we're walking in darkness, we're lying. Verse 7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, there's a key, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. We confess our sins to God to have our sins forgiven. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But if you jump up, if you jump up to verse 7, notice one of the benefits of confession of sin. It restores fellowship. Firstly, fellowship with God. But secondly, fellowship with one another. I cannot have fellowship with you if we are not walking in the light together in Christ. Biblical fellowship is defined by that. So my confession of sin to God is for forgiveness. But my confession of sin to you is to restore the biblical fellowship. It's to be healed, as we will see in a moment. That's why we confess sin. Turning back to James 5, 16. As I was studying this passage and facing my own sin of selfish ambition, bitter jealousy. There was hope in my heart as I read this and as I thought about these passages in 1 John 1 about fellowship. But, you know, there was also something in my head that was saying, if you go and confess your sin to Jose Prado, He is going to think less of you. It's going to break your fellowship. As a matter of fact, last Tuesday, I confessed my sin to Jose. Last Wednesday, we had already scheduled a monthly meeting between the two couples, the the Prados, Christine and Jose, and the Pinos, Desi, me and Desi. And what we do in those meetings is is we share together, we we have a time together. I'm, I'm mentoring Jose as a church planter. And, and, and as I pulled into the parking lot in Miami Lakes to, to, to the restaurant, and I got out of my car, I saw Jose and Christine getting out of their van, taking little Jonathan out. And you know what was going through my head? I don't know if I'm going to meet with them today. They're going to think I'm a real jerk. Just the lies. Now, my relationship with God is taken care of. I've confessed my sin of, to God. He's forgiven me. But I've, I've got my brother here. And I've got my brother here whom God wants to use to pray for me. He's already prayed for me, and he's going to keep praying for me to heal me. And yet there is a threat to break the fellowship because I don't want to be embarrassed in front of him because I think it's going to break our relationship. And it did just the opposite. We have one of the most amazing lunches. We cried together. We wept together. Listen, our meeting together isn't some professional mentorship program that I'm on with Jose Prado. 
We've got reality. We share our lives together. He knows what I'm wrestling with. He sees my sickness and he loves me. And he prays for me. And God heals me. And that's a richness that we want to maintain because it's biblical. It's what this passage teaches. It's fellowship. It's healing. In a sense, it's kind of like rehab. Think about it. There's something wrong with my body that's not functioning the way it should. Maybe it's my arm. Maybe it's my leg. Hebrews 12 talks about this. I'm a Christian. I'm a new creation in Christ. I am a, I'm a believer. I've been given a new nature. Who I am is who I am in Jesus. I'm not defined by this sin, but there's something out of joint. There's something wrong. There's a selfish ambition. There's a bitter jealousy that doesn't define me, but I battle it. And God says, confess your sin so that I can put it back into place and I can be useful again. I can preach. I can pray. And the way I'm going to put it back into place is to confess to your brother so he can pray for you. And you could be healed. You know, I, I was just thinking, so many in the church try to go it alone. And when they do, they have an arm, spiritually speaking, a leg, whatever, out of joint. They're on the sidelines. They're in the hospital. They, they, they can't come to work, so to speak, spiritually. They're taking sick days. They're Christians. They love God. They love the church, but they're on the sidelines because something's not right because God wants to heal them, heal them through prayer, but heal them. The preparation for the prayer is the confession and he wants to get them back in the game. And yet they, they, they insist on going it alone through some cultural value of rugged individualism. I, I love what Dietrich Bonhoeffer says about confession. If you would put that quote up, sin. Bonhoeffer was a big proponent of this. If you've never read about him, it's a great biography about Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He's a great man of God. and He says this, sin demands to have a man by himself. It it withdraws him from the community. The more isolated a person is, the more destructive will be the power of sin over him. And please keep that quote up there for a while. Oh, this is important, friends. When sin comes, the first thing it does is it isolates me. So if I sin, I'm going to confess it to God and I'm forgiven. (laughs) I don't want to tell it to anybody else. It's me and God. And see, ultimately, it's not understanding the gospel. We're going to get to that in a moment. But let that tension kind of live in you for a little bit. But but it's, it's I get sicker if I try to go it alone. I'm alienated from other people. Confession of sin is a means of grace that helps restore fellowship. It, it helps combat this, this, this propensity that sin has to separate us, to cause us to withdraw from the community, to cause us to withdraw from our wives if we're married, from our children, children from your parents. Sin always brings alienation and withdrawal. Confession always brings biblical fellowship and unity. Always. And a second thing it does is it hammers our pride. It hammers our pride. Let me just, let me just go back to the, the means of grace uh, of, of community. Just look quickly at Hebrews 3.12. If you recall, we preached this several months ago. Hebrews 3.12, I'm still on this idea of confession. And why do I have to confess to my brother? I've confessed to God and he's forgiven my sins. Amen, he has, bro. That's the scripture. Jesus Christ, only mediator between God and man. Why my brother? So that fellowship can be restored. So that you can be healed of your sin. Because we need one another. Look at Hebrews 3.12. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. He's talking to Christians. Evil, unbelieving heart. Leading you away from the living God. Sin leads us away from God and it leads us away from one another. Confession brings us back to God. That's God's divine remedy 
to pride and sin is confession. And it works because Jesus died on a cross for you and me, rose from the dead. Leading you to fall away from the living God. Look, what's the remedy? Verse 13, but exhort one another. Exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that what? That none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. I could have sat there and remained hardened by the deceitfulness of sin and bitter jealousy, selfish ambition. It has in the past. And God says, go destroy it. I'll forgive you. Now confess it. And I'll heal you. I'll put the limb which is laying back into joint so you can get up here and preach, not out of a selfish ambition, but out of a godly ambition. And pray. And bless. This passage in Hebrews 3, 12 to 13, though it doesn't say confess your sins to one another, this word exhort, oh friends, it's a rich word. Yeah, if you push me, I'd say the only place it specifically commands you to confess to your brother is James 5, 16, and we're preaching it. But this one has it, and many others have it. It's understood. It's how God heals us. It's how God wants to heal some of you this morning. As I, as I prepared for this, the, the sin of sexual impurity just seemed like the Lord wanted to speak to that sin. And so many, men and women today, sadly, sadly, the third wave of feminism, what is called raunch feminism, has made women now as prolific in pornography as men, almost. It is sad. It breaks my heart. It is against God. But it is a sin that lies hidden. It is a sin that we say, you know what? I'm going to confess it to God, and he forgives me. And amen, brother. Amen, sister. He does. But, oh, God wants to heal you. You're limping spiritually. You're out of the game. You're guilt-ridden. And God wants to heal you and put you back in the game. But he says, go confess it to somebody appropriately somebody who's mature somebody of the same sex somebody that can really help you and be careful who you confess to but go and confess it because it's a means of grace to humble your heart listen the bible says in james 4 6 and 7 god's opposed to the proud but he gives grace grace to the humble Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Confession is, I died confessing to this guy. And what died needed to die. Sadly, it gets back up the next day. So it's a lifestyle of repentance and confession. I want these guys to think I'm the greatest thing since sliced bread. I, I want them to think I am the man, the mentor. The legend in his own mind. Alpino. And God's opposed to that. Because if I step into this pulpit thinking anything other than I am a servant. Called by God to serve the word. I didn't cook it. I didn't grow the vegetables. I didn't raise the beef. I did not cook it. I did nothing. I walked into the kitchen. I put it on a platter and I brought it out, and I laid it before you. If I think anything other than that, that's sin. And God wants to heal me if those thoughts ever come in so that I could serve him and you. The same with sexual sins. Would God have you confess to somebody? I could include other addictive behaviors, I just felt that one. The Lord wanted to speak to some folks and give you hope. God sent his son to heal you. He's the prince of peace. Shalom carries with it peace and healing. Now listen, there are dangers in confession. I understand that. We need to move on to prayer because I want to get there. But there are dangers that we must avoid. Confession is voluntary. People, we're not trying to be thought police or sin police. That's wrong. It's when God spoke to me and I came to Jose, he didn't come looking for me. We have to be careful of hyper-introspection, that all we do is think about us and our sin becomes sin-focused. Have we been guilty of that at Palm Vista at times in the past? Yes, we are growing. Help us grow. But the dangers of these things should not prevent us from obeying the command of God in James 5.16. So that we can pray for one another. So let us confess biblically. 
with an emphasis on the voluntary nature of confession, being more impressed with the fact that God has chosen us and saved us and given us new natures in Christ than with any sin, knowing that our sin does not define us, Christ and the new life in him define us. But may we confess. May we confess our sins to one another, for God commands it here. And it's a great means of grace, and it prepares us to pray. Show the next quote, please. This is from Kent Hughes. In his commentary, he says this, Mutual confession enhances mutual prayer and makes possible the bearing of one another's burdens. Mutual confession enhances mutual prayer. Actually, it prepares for mutual prayer in this passage. They go together. You cannot separate them. Or you do violence to the fabric of this text. Mutual confession enhances mutual prayer and makes possible the bearing of one another's burdens. How can he bear my burden if I'm not confessing? He, bared, he bore my burden. He, he prayed for me with tears in his eyes. He hugged me. He blessed me. He's still blessing me. He's going to be part, and both of these guys, they're going to be part uh, of the healing of Alpino so Alpino can serve, serve God, serve you. But I would be laying in a bed helpless with my sins forgiven but still an invalid spiritually apart from the grace of confession. Mutual confession enhances mutual prayer and makes possible the bearing of one another's burdens. We confess our sins to one another so we can pray for one another. And that's the second point of the text. Pray for one another. Pray for one another. Let's read it again. James 5, 16 to 18. Therefore, Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Friends, confession prepares the way for prayer, and prayer introduces us to the power of God. The goal is prayer, not confession. Confession simply is the divine pathway to prayer. And in the past, we have stopped with confession. We've almost made confession our goal, but now we realize that was an error. No, no, confession is not the goal. Prayer is the goal. Confession is simply God's way to prepare for prayer. After, after I confessed to Jose, he prayed for me. I experienced the healing in my soul. As a matter of fact, that Tuesday... After I met with Jose and and confessed and prayed, I had a meeting with someone else in the afternoon, and that person and I were talking and laughing and sharing, and and we were biblical fellowship, man, and and they were asking me, what are you doing? I said, well, I I was was preparing the sermon for this coming Sunday, and i got to go back and prepare. And he goes, oh, yeah, man, you better work hard. you got some big shoes to fill after Jose's sermon last week. (laughs) But listen to me. Listen to me. Listen to me. You know what? Instead of reacting as I did the previous Sunday, you know what I did? I laughed. I didn't tell him what was going on. I just laughed at myself. You know, we got to laugh at ourselves sometimes. I I, I laughed with joy at God. And I said, oh, God, thank you for releasing me because I felt a measure of freedom. That arm didn't hurt so much. I took a shot and it wasn't painful. I could throw the ball because God had healed me. Now, has he healed me fully? No, I'm going to wrestle with this the rest of my days, but I'm, I'm better than I was. It's progressive sanctification. I wasn't in bed. In the past, that comment would have knocked me out. I would have gone home and said, why even prepare? Shouldn't have said that, but now that you know. That was the past, okay? This is good. Look, I, 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 I want us to live in reality, guys. I don't want us to be thought or sin police, but neither do I want us to become professional Christians where we all look good, you know, got a nice little pair of slacks on, nice shirt on, let's preach a nice little sermon. I look in, uh, nicely at home group. I don't really share what I'm really thinking about you. I think you're an idiot when you said that, but I'm not going to share it with you. You think I'm an idiot when I share what I share, but I'm not going to share that with you. I envy you. Look at that nice car, honey. Did you see the car they drove? Wow, where'd they get the money for that car? You know, it's like, I'm not going to ever share any of that kind of stuff. So then we just walk around as a church where we all have got doctrine in our heads and we can recount the Bible and all the confessions and everything looks good and there's no reality. 
There's no biblical fellowship. Nothing. You can have 10,000 people like that. God is not impressed. So let's have reality. With all its dangers. With all its little wounds. Because reality means I walk away healed. So the materialism in my heart is exposed by your new car. And I have enough relationship with you to talk to you about it. And you love me enough not to judge me or gossip or slander with other people. But you pray for me. And you can have your new car and enjoy it. And I'll drive my 1994 car and enjoy it. So I could walk away from that Tuesday meeting and rejoice in Jose's message. And by the way, hopefully it helps you to see how we interact. He's my friend. I I love this guy. I am thrilled that his preaching is is awesome because God builds churches on his word and humble servants that preach his word faithfully. And let's pray that it grow even more. And I can do that. I'm back in the game. God wants us to have ambition, just not selfish ambition. You see, here's the deal. God did not command me to confess my sin, to humiliate me, but to heal me. And God does not command you to confess your sin, to humiliate you, but to heal you. But some of you are so proud that God can't heal you. And you think wrongly about this, not biblically. You think culturally. Rugged individualism, American Christianity. I don't need you, thank you very much. All I need is God, and you're wrong. Because this Bible is not, does not teach that. And I will faithfully bring that to your attention and humbly ask God to show you. I'm not going to come looking for you. I'll let the Spirit of God do that. But I'd like to see you back in the game. I'd like to turn my head during the game and see you there. Rather than on the sideline on injury reserves. Because you can't throw the ball. I'm fine. How's it going? Oh, I'm fine. My sins are forgiven. Can you throw the ball? Ah, I'm just going to like coach right now. Okay. We already have a coach. That's okay. I'll be his assistant. We have an assistant. I'll be the assistant's assistant. Man, humble yourself. Find somebody. Confess your sin. Watch God heal you. And see the joy of getting back in the game. God doesn't love you any less or any more right now. Because he loves you in Christ. But he could probably use you a little bit more. The power for all this comes through the gospel. Let's go back to 5.16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. The power is not in the confession. The power is in the prayer, and the prayer is empowered by the gospel. Why? Why do I say that? What do you see here that tells you that this prayer is empowered by the gospel? It's the qualifier. What kind of prayer is powerful? The prayer of a righteous person. Well, that leaves me out, Al. There goes your no-hitter. I'm on permanent injured reserve. I'm retired. No, you're not. Because the righteous person spoken of there is a righteousness that comes by the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is a positional righteousness. We who trust in Jesus are all righteous positionally. We all qualify positionally. Our confidence in prayer is in Christ and his righteousness. Not the fact that I had my quiet time last night. Or this morning. 
It is a positional righteousness. It is the gospel that is the power. Listen, the means, the means to the goal of being healed and in the game are confession and prayer. But the power, the power, the means of grace is one thing. But the grace comes from God. The gospel. The gospel empowers our confession. The gospel empowers our prayer. Jesus Christ is the gospel. His person, perfect man, miraculous birth, perfect life. His work, sacrificed on the cross for your sins, raised from the dead, risen, ascended. The gospel is what empowers our prayers. It's what makes us righteous. It's the gospel that enables me to confess. The gospel enables me to pray. Apart from the gospel, our prayers will have no power. And you know what? Apart from the gospel, we will not confess our sins. See, I don't need to worry about what Jose or any of you think of me right now. Because I know what God thinks of me in the gospel. He thinks of me as in Christ, with Christ's righteousness. There's a preacher in Texas named Matt Chandler, Reformed Baptist. Believe this quote's ascribed to him. He says this, it is okay to not be okay. It is okay to not be okay. That speaks of positional righteousness. It speaks of the fact that in Christ, I am righteous, not based on my behavior, but the gospel goes beyond the positional righteousness. It goes beyond that, and it goes into a practical righteousness. So that gospel makes me positionally righteousness, qualifies me to pray as a righteous man, and that prayer is powerful, but then it moves me to a practical righteousness, what the Bible calls sanctification. The first one the Bible calls justification. The second one, sanctification. So now he's changing me. Now I can laugh when someone tells me I got big shoes to fill. On Tuesday, I couldn't laugh on Sunday morning. I could laugh on Tuesday. God's progressing me in sanctification. He's transforming a selfish ambition, which is really powerful in me, into a godly ambition, which hopefully is really powerful in me. He's not muting me. He's transforming me. Some of you have incredible gifts. And God wants to heal and transform and use those gifts for himself. He changes us to make us into the image of his son. So as Matt Chandler would complete that quote that I started, it's not okay, excuse me, it's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay there. It's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay there. This is the power of the gospel. Church, God promises to heal us by the power of the gospel, and he commands us to pray by the power of the gospel, and he will gladly answer those prayers. And the last illustration he gives us is Elijah. Look at verses 17 to 18. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Friends, every Jew had Elijah in his top one or two all-star list. I mean, Moses, Elijah. Who shows up with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration? Elijah. I mean, Elijah was the man. He's raising the dead. He's challenging all the false prophets. He's calling fire down from heaven. The ravens are feeding him in the wilderness. But what does James highlight about Elijah? All that stuff? Now look at verse 17 again. Elijah was what? A Hall of Fame member? Hall of Faith member? No, no. A man with a nature like ours. A man with a nature like ours. He's saying Elijah is immortal. He is sick, my friends. He is sick in his soul. And the only reason that God listened to Elijah's prayers is because he trusted in God's righteousness in Christ. And when he trusted in God's righteousness in Christ, when he was positionally righteous and it led to a a practical righteousness, to living it out, then, then there was power in his prayers and his prayers were powerful. See what it says there in verse 17? He prayed fervently. You could translate that. In prayer... He prayed. See, we don't want to just pray, but we want to pray. Like, in my prayer, I want to pray. I want to be fervent because of the gospel. That's what Elijah is teaching me. And what did he pray? He prays the will of God. Now, this is a funny thing here. 
Let me just ask you this question. Why in the world would James use Elijah? And then why in the world would James use Elijah praying for rain? First stopping rain and then praying for rain. Well, let me just introduce this. Maybe he used Elijah and this whole picture of praying for no rain, drought, death, and then praying for rain, fruitfulness, The land produces what it's supposed to. Maybe he did that because of the analogy of the sickness of a believer restored to health and the deadness of the land brought back to life and fruitfulness. And God wants to restore sick believers like us with arms that are out of joint and places and not being able to to really be fruitful. He wants to restore us to health and fruitfulness just like Elisha was used to restore the land from drought to life. Did Elijah just come up with this prayer and speak it into being, as some falsely say? Oh, no, friends. There's no name it, claim it here at all. Nope. God is not the heavenly messenger boy for Elijah. Elijah didn't get thirsty one day and start praying for rain. 1 Kings 17 clearly teaches us that God first said to Elijah, there's going to be a drought And so Elijah, based on the will of God, prayed that will fervently. Jose taught us last week, prayer is God-centered. It's thy will be done. But that doesn't mean that I walk around as sort of a a, a non-passionate, oh God, may it not rain. No. No, 1 Kings 17 says us, tells us he got on his face and he prayed and he prayed and he prayed. He prayed fervently. He prayed with all his heart. He prayed passionately. It wasn't some pumped up passion. It wasn't trying to get God's attention. He knew God had shared with him, but it was a prayer birthed out of the gospel, out of the righteousness of God, out of the will of God. And then in 1 Kings 18, the same thing. I'll just read it to you. 1 Kings 18.1. After many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, go, show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. So it's not rain for three and a half years, because God told Elijah it wouldn't rain, and Elijah prayed that it wouldn't rain. So God's will and man's prayer work together. Do not use the sovereignty of God as an excuse for not praying, or for dispassionate prayers you read from a book. You read them from the book of the Bible, and then your heart explodes in passion around those prayers. And then, and, then, and then he prayed again. And it wasn't just like Elijah saying, I want it to rain, I'm thirsty. God said it's going to rain again. So what does Elijah do? Go turn on ESPN Sports Center, watch the game and not pray? No. He prays. And look how he prays. Oh, I love this. In 1 Kings 18, 42, it says, So Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel. Carmel, and he bowed himself down to the earth and put his face between his knees. Now, I don't know all that that means, but it sounds pretty intense to me. He puts his face between his knees and he said to his servant, go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and he looked and there is nothing. And he said, go again, seven times. I thought Elijah had God's word that it was going to rain. Why is he bothering himself with this? Because it's God's will to pray fervently. And behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. And he said, go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down, lest the rain stop you. And in a little while, the heavens grew black with clouds. And after three and a half years and wind, there was a great rain. And Ahab robed and went to Jezreel. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah. And he gathered up his garment and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Now, that's another wild one. He outran the chariot. Not preaching on that today, but Amazing. <laughs> What's the point? The gospel empowers our confession and prayer. Apart from the gospel, I don't want to confess because my whole, my whole being is in how I look before you. I don't understand that, that Jesus is the one that defines me. I don't care what you think of me. I know what God thinks of me. And it's foolish to try to get your approval because you're never going to give it to me perfectly. And God does give me his. And it empowers my prayer. I'm righteous not because of my actions, but because of Christ's actions. And he's making me more like himself. See, God sovereignly delights to answer the passionate prayers of his children. 
My passion doesn't make God answer my prayer, but my passion is a delight to him. You want to worship the Lord? You want an offering of sacrifice to God? Let him stir your passion through the truths of the gospel when you pray. Listen, that includes singing. That includes singing the Psalms. It definitely includes that. That's prayer in song. If you want to pray in song, sing your prayers to the Lord. Get on the piano. Worship the Lord. Pray to him in song. Cry out to him with shouts. Get alone. Get passionate. As if it really mattered. I'll never forget Hector Diaz when he told me, when my son Christian was dying in that hospital room, I got a hold of God and I said, God, kill me and keep Christian alive. And he said, I don't know if that was the right prayer. And I said, don't worry about it, Hector. Your heart, that was right. God will correct our theology and our prayers. Trust me. But the passion, that man was getting a hold of God. Now, I realize that your son being very sick is different maybe than other things, but it's the same passion. It's for God and his will to be done. I believe that's what Elijah was passionate about. I want God's will to be done. I know it's going to be done. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray as if it depended on me. Excuse me. I'm going to work as if it depended on me and pray as if it depended on God. Now, we know it depends on God. But you understand what I'm saying? No laziness allowed. As righteous men and women, God commands us to pray his will, as Jose taught us last week. Our passion is not fabricated, nor is our passion a meritorious work, but it's real passion within one's personality. Okay, maybe you don't shout. I shout. Then just don't shout passionately. Get intensely whatever you get intensely with. Some of you write. He wants to restore our lives to fruitfulness for himself and his glory and our good, my friends. God wants to heal you through confession and prayer that you might be fruitful. So let us confess our sins to one another and pray for one another that we may be healed and may God be glorified in the declaration and demonstration of the gospel to our sick world because God wants us to pray for this world and he wants us to pray for this world. He wants us to worship Christ. He wants us to image Christ and he wants us to proclaim Christ. It's so that we can go out and be who we're supposed to be. To do that, I got to get this arm back in shape so I can get get out there and play again. But it's about God, not about me. I can think of no better way to do this than communion. So ushers, would you start taking your place? Perhaps there's, there's really no greater way to celebrate these truths than to celebrating communion together. In communion, we celebrate the gospel truth that our sins are forgiven in Christ, and we now have a new nature and a new identity, that of Christ and his righteousness. But we recognize that we still sin. There is still healing that we need from that localized sickness of sin in our lives. So we boldly come to God as we remember the sacrifice of Christ that qualifies us to approach the throne of grace. Friends, as the ushers come down and take their place here, this is a time for us to confess our sins to God for sure and firstly, and only God can forgive you of your sins. This does not forgive your sins. Confessing to any human does not forgive your sins. God forgives your sins. Christ is the only mediator. His sacrifice alone is our confidence. But friends, does this not beg as well for you to understand and to obey the, 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 the command to confess to one another? Having your sins forgiven. Having your sins forgiven, you're free to confess. The reluctance to confess is gone. Your access to God is not based on your merit, but on Christ. So I urge you to use this time to remember Christ's sacrifice. And also, you can come down and confess your sins. May God lead you to confess them, first to God and then to others. And as you do that, as you do that, listen, may you be healed. May, may, may you be healed of, of I, I think, you know, this just came to me. Don't know if it's the Lord or just my memory, but I, I think of the woman who had this issue of blood. And this lady was desperate. It's in one of the Gospels. I just read it in my quiet time recently. I believe it was in Luke. And Jesus is going, I believe, to heal the child of one of the synagogue leaders or something. And there's this crowd. And the lady says, if I just touch the hem of his garment, and she's healed. And he stops. And he said, who touched me? And his disciples go, Lord, there's a multitude all around you. Everybody's touching you. He said, no, somebody touched me in faith. And they were healed.
And the woman came up. Say it was me. Would that be you today? This, this gospel is free. Cost Christ's life. Cost us everything. But it's free. But we've got to receive it in faith. Con- obey. Confess. Pray. And what awaits us is the promise of healing. Now, this celebration is only for those who have repented of their sins and placed their faith in Christ. And if you haven't done that, I'm going to pray in just a moment. And I want to pray for you right now and allow you the opportunity to respond to God's call on your life. If you're here, God brought you here. And if you've been listening to me, if this is starting to make sense, that is God, his spirit. He's taking your dead heart and making it alive. He's taking that land that is dead with drought and he's pouring the rain of his spirit on it and he's about to give you life. But you've got to respond. And the way you respond is you repent, turn away from your sin, your arrogance against God. You believe in Jesus. So let me pray for us first here. Lord, I pray if there's anybody in this room, number one, who would, who would be in that, that area of not knowing you, um, Lord, I pray that you would bless them. And I also pray that you'd turn the spotlights back on, whoever's back there. I pray that you would bless them. Uh, and I pray that you would give them life. Lord, right now, in the midst of all of our humanity and my inabilities at time to focus, Lord, I pray that you would bless that person perhaps right now that is, that is under your wrath and has no right to any healing or peace or shalom. But right now, Lord, you would convict them of their sin. You would save them. And they would respond to you and say, I'm so sorry, God. Would you please forgive me? I trust Christ. And Lord, I pray for the rest, most of us who who still have wounds, who still have limbs that are lame and arms that are out of socket and fingers that are bent and broken and, and feet that are hurt and ankles that are twisted and legs that are lame. Lord, I pray that you would, you would begin to heal people, Lord, that this would be a healthy church as each member gets a hold of the gospel and the gospel gets a hold of them and by faith they're able to confess because they know that they have been forgiven, that you define them and not the sin, so they're free now to stop playing games and confess the sin and receive the prayer and to be healed and we'd be a healthy church so that we could then go and give our lives out to this community, God, so that we could worship you, we could image you Jesus, we could proclaim you to our generation. We get in the game that you've called us to get into by your grace and your power. In Jesus' name, amen.